handle the truth. Are you mailing me? Why? So we could eat wedding cake. Is it chocolate cake? Who cares? It's this big and it got frosty. This came right from Lansing. They admitted it. They had my name on a list called a hit list. And um, they admitted that I'm not accused of doing anything wrong. No drugs, no weapons, no sex, no escapes, no violence, no gangs, nothing like that. This was about getting back at me for fighting. And, you know, it, my fights are big fights. They're uh, religious freedom, uh, racial discrimination issues, uh, civil rights violations. Um, right now I'm doing a lot of uh, helping guys get access to the courts. Uh, obviously doing some of these destructive cell searches and uh, they don't like that. They don't like anybody that fights back. So they try to wear you down and, and they have the money and the power and the resources and the numbers to wear you down. So for the average small person yeah. who goes into a traffic court, they don't have time to learn traffic law and their due process rights and they can't afford to pay a lawyer $2,000 to go to court with them on a $300 ticket. They just go in and, and they take it and, and, they, and this is how yeah. the system works. I, I, this reminds me of a great short story. When my, when my last wife was alive, was alive, she got pulled over because her vehicle looked like a vehicle they were looking for in an armed robbery. So she gets pulled over and she's surrounded by cars. And she's furious when she finds out. She hears them on the radio like, no, 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 that's not her. It's two black males. And she's a redheaded white female. So she starts, she starts going off on these people that actually pulled guns on her. And guess what they did? They wrote her a vehicle infraction. And they said, oh, no, the real reason we were pulled you over, she made an illegal lane change. So, of course, there's a camera on the cop car. She didn't make any illegal lane change. She didn't make a lane change until the lights were on. She had squad cars behind her. And then cars were surrounding her, and more cars were pulling up. So she's raising hell. She wants to know who their supervisor is. She heard them on the radio say, no, dummies, that's not the car, and it's two black males. And she goes, you fuckers did this to me and, and pulled guns on me, and she's furious. And so she goes to court. This is what they tell her. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll reduce the ticket some. She goes, no, no, it's a fake ticket. The lady wrote a fake ticket to justify pulling me over when you guys really were looking for these criminals. And, and it, it's already admitted. So your radio transmission, she makes up, she raises all kinds of hell. And they say, well, we'll reduce the ticket down to like half its normal price. So now she has to decide literally, does she want to fight and pay 250 bucks or does she want to pay 100 bucks and do that, that grand home vehicle responsibility crap that our crazy prior governor did? And um, in the end, she, she was basically still screwed. Instead of just saying, we're sorry, we made a terrible mistake, and maybe doing something nice for her because they scared the crap out of her, they wrote a phony ticket to try to cover their asses. And then when she called them out about it in court, they said, instead of just throwing it out and saying, we're sorry, ma'am, it was, well, here's what we'll do. I'll, I'll reduce the ticket. Well, Gigi, here's the problem, though, and, and this is one of the dilemmas that I'm seeing. People want to sue the state of Michigan. And Dana Nessel did make a comment Wednesday morning, well, I saved the state of Michigan from going bankrupt, okay? The problem is, is that we do have to have mercy and grace and forgiveness. That's why Jesus has to be in the house. But they've kicked Jesus and God out of our courthouses. So really, there is no mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And all there is is a bunch of two happy people. And the thing is, is what I'm doing, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I want righteous behavior from people that are state employees that get six figures. They don't have to work for their income. They don't have to beg. They have a pension. I don't have a pension. I'm doing this all for free. I should be out there selling houses and saving it because I have no pension. So I'm just hoping and praying that all these young kids that we're doing this for, that they don't really know why we're doing it, but God knows why we're doing it. 
God knows that we are supposed to be on our toes right now, trying to be respectful, even though they're choosing to disrespect us. So we're no different than, I mean, we're definitely different than Jesus, but I mean, Jesus already went down the road and, and he was flogged and taken advantage of. And, and so I just got to keep hoping that what we're doing is mat matters. I would never have met your wonderful wife at that. If I didn't go to that rally and, and, you know, it was just really cool to see other women giving a crap for their men. And, and again, some of them are their brothers, some of them are their boyfriends. And like I said, I just want to make the court a safer place. I do not believe it's a safe place. When they, when an officer can hit you down the hallway when you're leaving in front of your husband, and you'll like this story. My husband says, I was going to box his ears. I'm like, what the hell's box your ears from, you know? Well, my husband says, well, when he was bending down to pick you up, you know, he wanted to box his ears. I'm like, husband, you don't box his ears. And he's like, wife, he was touching you, but... That was the thing. What do you do when we're trying to get out of the courtroom? And they, and this is what happened during the court hearing. Um, the judge was yelling at me because I was going to the commissioners complaining. And he said that I had no right. And basically you and your wife, and he was yelling about me. And, and basically I stood up and I told him, I told the judge to stop threatening me. And he said, stop gesticulating. Cause I talk with my hands a lot. And so that's what I got in trouble for. So gesticulate. Cause I talk with my hands. I did not flip them off. But they like to say these words so that makes you look like in a transcript that you're this goofy person. And that's why I've been since 2018. I don't want just the transcripts. It's not just the written word. It is what you hear and then what you see. And those little monkeys that say, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Bullshit. Excuse me. I know I'm not supposed to swear on the air. But I want my videos and I want it run 24-7 so that you can get access to these videos and you know you can see the pattern of behavior that I'm seeing and they don't want people like you and I that have a brain with the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. We have a brain and we're seeing the pattern of behavior and they don't want that pattern of behavior out. And we have been targeted and all I can say is thank you, thankful for people like Thomas that puts this platform together where you and I can just have a chat, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you made a great camera point, too, because we have, we have cameras in Michigan prisons now. Of course, we didn't have that 10 years ago. And the inmates are completely different. Now they know they're being watched. Now, if an inmate's going to go stab an inmate, he's probably going to do that no matter what. And we have, we've had a lot of murders here recently. I mean, that happens. But 90% of the time, they chill their behavior because they know there's a bunch of cameras everywhere. If you watch the show, no, Court Cam, you'll see, you'll see them busting judges for engaging in really bizarre behavior. That bizarre behavior, which you can see on camera, is not reflected in a transcript. So when these judges exactly. are screaming and yelling at you and threatening you and things, it doesn't come across on a piece of paper in a transcript like it does in a video. And what they do now when they do bust some of these judges, the rare times they do, is they look at those videos and they say, okay, this is completely inappropriate behavior. You'll see a defendant in tears crying. That's not shown in the transcript. You'll see the judge berating them. That's not shown in the transcript. You can't see the anger and the vehemence and the disgust. And, well, and just let's say, talking about you gesticulating. There's no rule against you moving your hands when you speak. That's not a violation yeah, of anything. So no judge crazy. has the authority what to tell you to stop moving your hands when you talk. It shows no, you a crazy job, level of power. They think, they think they're gods on that bench. And that, that's how you knock them down a peg in part is by having those cameras there. Well, and, and again... Um, we believe that in probate, these judges are purposefully saying something, knowing the game. And so, like, we know it now. 
So no, my husband will, you know, he'll say, I'm not, I'm not backing, backing up, up, sir. I'm not, I'm not no, my husband will, will talk back to the judge, which again, he, you know, the judge does not like Jeff and Jody White, but we've been in court for 10 years. Since 2012, we've been in, in probate court and we just don't understand. And then, you know, in the midst of it all, I have to, I have to be tackled by a sheriff. I go for a jury trial. Everybody gets to lie about me. I, you know, you can tell I kind of talk a lot. I cut you off, that kind of stuff. I knew not to go on the stand without being prepped first, because again, I'm angry about this stuff. And my passion, people say, oh, you need to calm down. I'm like, what do you mean I have to calm down? This is people being a bunch of assholes. I'm not used to being, and these, and I really trusted my jury system. And I really thought that they would see through the inconsistencies of the officers and they didn't. So when they found me guilty, they immediately put me into jail when I was already out on bond. And I was supposed to come back for sentencing. So my poor husband went crazy for 33 days. They made sure I was in multiple, I was in, um, you know, where you're in solitary confinement for three days. And then I was in maximum security for three weeks. You know, they were just trying to scare me. But the girls inside, they loved me. They called me Mama White. We were doing prayer meetings together. So they took good care of me. And the only time I cried was when I couldn't figure out the phone system to call my kids, you know. And but but again, nobody messed with me. Everybody was really nice to me. And they all knew that I wasn't I was being retaliated against. And to have your name on the ballot as a house rep and then to be retaliated against, where the hell was my Republican Party? So I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I am really somebody that I just walk with Jesus. I like righteous behavior. When you make a mistake, you have to come down on your knees and say you're sorry, you know? And I know accidents happen, but when there's a pattern of behavior of what they're doing to us in the courtroom, these attorneys and judges are guilty. So can I rest my case? <laughs> and, and sadly, juries are just as responsible. There's, there's a famous old legal saying that a jury is a collection of 12 idiots. And that's because they lose their individuality in the jury. You know, uh, not to heart my horn, but in my own case, if you go watch the documentary on my case, uh, Justice Incarcerated, you actually see one of the jurors, Richard Pellegrin, being interviewed. And this is way back in 1995 when I was at this facility the last time I was here. And Bill Proctor from ABC News says to him, you know, what if I told you there was a lot of evidence saying he didn't commit this crime that you didn't see? Or what if I told you there were other alibi witnesses you didn't know about? Or what if I told you he passed polygraphs? He says, well, well that wouldn't surprise me. And, he, and Bill was shot. Well, I just told you this man's innocent. And you know what he says? He says, uh, well, no, this is his quote. Uh, it's, I, I'll never forget this either. Well, no, you know, there was no evidence, but we thought maybe he could have done it. You sent me to prison to die because you thought maybe I could have done it, but admitted there was no evidence. Now, you know, Mr. Pellegrin, would you want that kind of a standard applied to you? Would you like me to send you off to die with absolutely no evidence that I thought maybe you could have done something? That's, that was one wow. of my jurors. And every one of my jurors wow. was that stupid. Most of them are too cowardly to even speak. And I know you're not supposed to say anything bad about your jurors, but the fact is my jurors were a collection of morons because they watched this, no, you know, this two-week-long trial. And at the end, they, they asked to see the photographs of the phony lineup, and they asked to hear about the witness testimony from Rennie Gobe, the hypnotized guy, which was completely illegal, and who completely changed his testimony. And not one of them said... You know, they haven't shown us one piece of evidence he had anything to do with this crime. Nobody's saying, I saw him. Nobody's saying he had a gun. Nobody's saying he borrowed a car. Nobody's saying he said he was going to kill this guy. Nobody's saying he left town. Nobody's saying he snuck back in. Everybody's no saying he was up there. There's he was no acting totally normal. 
That's twelve. That's twelve jurors who watch it. And so the few that were grieved, but they were willing to speak. Bill said to them, "Why did you do this?" And they all said, "Well, you know, this is all drama. It's got to be a motive. What's the motive for you to kill somebody? These guys are not doing motive and intent. And that's the thing. They're they're they just want the drama. We don't know what his motive was. We don't even know. We don't even know what happened that day. We just know he did it. Well, remember, I was convicted of first degree murder, and the law in Michigan is you have to show motivation, planning, forethought, and you actually have to show this, this deliberate, willful intent. You have to show the actions prior to the crime and during the crime to convince you that this is a deliberate act. This guy was shot in his side, by the way. He wasn't shot in the face or the chest or the head. He was shot in his side. And it was obviously somebody who was either acting rashly or was arguing or struggling with him or whatever. There was a female standing right by him when he was killed, which, by, my, by the way, my idiot jury knew about and didn't seem to be concerned about. A woman was standing right there when this man was killed. He was seen running from the student center, so he was running from somebody to his car, but he was shot at his car, which means there were multiple people involved. Again, you know, they didn't time meet any, any so-called uh, co-defendant or uh, crano rap partner, crime partner, as we call them. So, um... Rappy. So the point is, you know, juries are watching these trials, whether it's the OJ trial where there's amount of evidence that he did it, or whether it's my trial where there's no evidence I had anything to do with it, and they're coming back with these insane verdicts because they lose their minds. And then they don't have the courage to say, I made a horrible mistake. Every once in a while you'll find a juror. But if you look at all the innocent people that have been cleared in America, 90% of the innocent people that have been cleared in this country were convicted at a jury trial. Because the people that are innocent don't take deals to 40-year sentences. They say, no, I'm going exactly. to trial. I didn't do this. They trust the system. And, they, of course, they lose because the system is so well, perfect. And, Kinsu, I'm telling you, like, I believed in it all, too. And, and, again, my story is nothing like yours. But, you know, to be 10 years fighting this on the outside, it's well, thank you, but no, not really, because I slept in that bed for 33 days, and I had you know, my girl down below me would walk around without her shirt on just to piss off the guards, and I'd be like, lady, put your flipping shirt on, because, you know, I didn't want to get into trouble, you know, and then the amount of drugs that were in there, because I don't do any drugs, and it was like wild how they would stand in line and do all these drugs. And, almost every day now. Yeah, it's sick, it's sick, yeah. and so I got, and, and again, I, I even said to the Lord, I said, Lord... I know I'm running for office, and I know I didn't win, but I guess you wanted me to see what it was like on the inside because really, like you said, with cameras on the inside, those guards need to treat you with respect, but then you guys have to treat each other with respect. And no offense when my – I'm a twin. I'm an older twin. I'm a, I'm a twin brother. No, wait a minute. I'm an older brother and a twin brother. So it was Randy, Richard, and Jody. We would fight all the time. And once I got about 14 and I realized that they could beat me up, I stopped fighting. So, again, I've always had to hold my own, fight my own. And, and that's the thing. Once you get to that point of respect, but when a new guy comes in, you train them to do the right thing. And I got to tell you what happened yesterday or Wednesday at this meeting. So there's this new rep. His name is Mr. Outman. And he's the one. He cannot be a day over 25. I mean, if he is, he looks really good because he's really young looking. He said to us that we're talking a foreign language to him. He's on the Judiciary Committee and we're talking a foreign language. That scares me. So, we, you know, basically he says, you know, I got to go. And he's telling us like three times he had to go. And, you know, victims, we want to keep talking. We want to keep talking. But I was with another guy. I'm like, come on, Mike, we got to go. So we're walking away. Now, on the side of the of the, the committee, we call them the red coats. And they're former policemen from Lansing, and they get to wear red coats. 
and they are basically the ones that are going to make sure that we don't threaten them, but they can threaten us. I don't get that, but whatever. So all of a sudden, I, well, I'm walking away, and I'm really observant, and I hear the red coat say to the, the new rep, he says, he goes, oh, just tell him to just that you're busy to go away. And I turned around, and I said, excuse me, sir, with all due respect, we drove 90 minutes to show up here. We had 15 more minutes that these guys said we couldn't talk. I says, and you're sitting there teaching this young man how to disrespect the people? I said, you need to get out of my face. I mean, I said this to this cop. But that's the thing. Once a cop you know, says I can beat up cops and then I'm the aggressive one, they've turned me into this person that I don't like liars. And I don't like anyone that misleads our youth. And this young rep had every right to speak with us. But we as victims, we need a platform where we can sit there and, and talk and not be cut off. And at the end of the day, I'm done talking. I want these cops and these judges with their cameras on because as of today, I want as of today, 24-7 court hearings where the cameras are rolling. And that's what I want. And I don't know. I'm going to keep fighting for it. And we want them on YouTube so that people like me. You absolutely need that. My trial, well, my trial would have been so incredibly different if... if cameras have been in there and people nowadays could look at what went on back then i tried talking to my judge so many times about what my lawyer was doing and he was sitting there stoned out of his skull you know nodding off well, snorting cocaine on breaks you can see the guards yeah, shoving me around yeah, in the courtroom yeah. i mean uh, the, they would they used to think they called the mad dog show with me they would surround me with guards with guns they would put snipers on the roof they would put manacles and shackles on me, and they would parade me in front of the jury in jail greens. Now, that's completely illegal. It's, it's known as a perp walk, a perpetrator walk. It's completely illegal. It's a technique used to make the jury think you're some kind of crazy mad dog killer. I was this 23-year-old, 160-pound punk kid. You know, by the time the trial was done, I was the, the world's deadliest assassin. And the perp walk was a trick to scare the jury. So what they would do was, when it was getting time for court, they're supposed to have you over there way early, but instead, they would wait until the jurors were coming into the parking lot. They would direct the jurors where to park, and then they would do the mad dog show with me and walk me right in front of the jurors. Now, the jurors are not supposed to see you in shackles and jail clothing because it gives them the impression that you're a convicted criminal. So under the law, they're supposed to only see you in civilian clothing, and they're not supposed to see you cuffed. When they watch you walk into court in a trial, you're in civilian clothes. You're not in manacles or shackles unless you act up really bad in court. For that reason, but otherwise they're not supposed to see any of that. So it doesn't matter if you're Hannibal Lecter. When you do your trial, you look like a civilian. Instead, they right. would, and then right. they would stand in front of the jurors and go, "Stand back, ma'am, stand back." And they'd rack the shotguns and say, "Stand back, ma'am." And I, and I stand there going, "Seriously, guys, really? This is pathetic." And I turn the jurors and go, "I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. This is just a little childish show they're putting on." And they would get so mad at me because nobody ever speaks back. Nobody ever says anything about this stuff. They just put up with it, or they they get mad at the cops, and then it makes them look bad in front of the jurors. But it's, it's not recommended that these perp walks. It's actually in my transcript, so my judge should have stopped that trial automatically. He should have done a mistrial. Instead, you know what he says? Well, well, let's just stop doing that. Let's let's bring him over here in his clothes. So then they kept doing the perp walks, but now I'm wearing civilian clothing. Then they would walk me down the hall while the jurors were sitting in the hallway, walk me right past them to take me into a different holding cell than they normally use. This one's next to the judge's chambers. So the jury, it's a changing room. They would use that as my holding cell so they could walk me by the jurors again to make sure they saw me in shackles every single day. Now that alone right there is grounds for an automatic mistrial. No court has ever agreed to act on that, even though it's completely against the law. So there's the problem with our system right there. Rules for me and not for thee. That's completely yeah. illegal. 
any judge says so that's it, mistrial, and don't do that again, we're going to have fairness in my court. Even if you think I'm guilty, you do what's right. Then when the appellate court saw that, and I have affidavits from people involved in the perp walks, I had an expert uh, who wrote a whole thing about it. They drew up diagrams. There's the transcript pages where they admit they were doing this to me. That should have been enough for the appellate court to say, this is an absolute violation. It prejudiced the jury massively. Remember, the jury said, we thought he could have done it. Not we were absolutely convinced. And by the way, my jury argued for five days about this case, and which is also illegal. The judge kept sending them back and sending them back and sending them back. They're not supposed to do that. He kept saying, I need you to make a decision. I need you to make a decision. I need you to make a decision. They, they retired on a Friday at 7 o'clock in the evening, and they came back Monday morning with unanimous guilty. How did people flip their votes over the weekend? Mm-hmm. We, we reconvened Monday morning, and there's a guilty verdict. Whoa! How could it be a guilty verdict Monday morning? They hadn't even deliberated. I come into court, wow. and they go, oh, the jury's already convened. Yeah, we got, we, got a, we, got a, we got a guilty verdict now. There was no deliberation. So all of that is just an example of what's, what's wrong, not just with this case, but what's wrong with the system. The judge had been like, whoa, you guys are not allowed to discuss this case with anybody outside the courtroom. How the hell did you come up with a guilty verdict the moment you got into the courthouse? Who flipped their vote over the weekend and why? And he was supposed to do an inquiry, a voir dire inquiry. He refused to do it. This is that level of corruption. He, he knew my lawyer was a crackhead. Here's why he knew my lawyer was a crackhead. He was my lawyer's oversight officer on his crack cocaine probation conviction. My own trial judge, James T. Corden who Robert Cleland, my prosecutor, had bailed out of jail multiple times for beating his wife and being drunk. Robert Cleland was going and getting him or Terrence Houlihan, another prosecutor under Cleland, were going and getting this judge out of jail for beating his wife and being a drunk. So my prosecutor is controlling my judge. My judge is controlling my lawyer. They're all in this together. Again, for anybody listening, this is all a matter of record. We have the police reports. We have the transcript. Everything that says what I'm saying right now. Hold on, T. Hold on. T. Hold on. Say again, Ms. Jody. Well, here's the thing. This is for running for legislation again. This is another thing. We need to get the family tree of all of this stuff because that's what we're finding out is that the sheriff in the courthouse is the husband of the judge and then they're the ones that take me down, and this is the problem. I didn't know all these people were related. I, you know, I don't think they're in the same line of work as mommy and I didn't dad. know about any of these interconnections these people had. Yeah. It was only private yeah. investigators that found all this out later on, but they knew it's what they all, were doing. Yeah, but can I tell you one thing? It's all over the internet now, but this is the problem. No one gives a crap, and that's why I want you to talk to Tom Boyd. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want me to send emails. But Thomas Boyd, he's the state court administrator, and he can be fired, and he needs to be fired because he's under the superintending control of the Supreme Court justices, and they need to give a shit about this. And if they're not going to give a crap about it, then they all can then recall them too. But we've got to worry about – now, they're, they're doing clean slate in Michigan. So, oh, if you do have a marijuana charge, big deal. I mean – and, and the, the smaller uh, sexual crime ones, they're kind of helping out with that. And as a realtor, I agree with that. Because, again, just because you kiss your girlfriend and you're, you know, 19 and the girlfriend's 16, you're, you got this rap sheet for the next 40 years. That's bullshit. So I do agree with some of the things that they're doing with the play. But come on. They can still do something else at the other extreme, which is your case and these, these wrongful conviction cases. And. You know about Butter and some other guy by the name of Avery. I went to their Wicca, Wicca um, cases. That was just crap the way it sounded so pure that Avery was 100% innocent. He should have gotten his Wicca money. And I find out, you know, two weeks later, he didn't get it. I'm like, 
wait a minute. I don't even know anything about this guy. I'm sitting there listening to the evidence. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that guy's clean. I didn't. But again, nobody wants to take state do state dollars and pay for the mistakes of these attorneys. So they need to be bonded just like we are with Arizona Mission Insurance. And they need to pay for E&O. But nobody will pay will bond these guys because they know they're all a bunch of cheats and liars and embezzlers and stealers and, and liar, 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 pants on fire, you know? Oh, you got me. Let me fire. We have to do something in reforms, in reforms regarding this crazy immunity that prosecutors and judges and law enforcement receive. You know, you don't, don't need immunity unless you're doing something wrong. The whole point of no, immunity has always been, when you will not be prosecuted for the bad thing you did in exchange for blank. And, and to say to a prosecutor, you can do whatever you want and get away with it, and the prosecutor will say, well, I have to have immunity or I couldn't do my job. No, you couldn't do your job illegally. You couldn't do your job immorally. You couldn't do your job criminally. You could do your job honestly. If you're being honest, you're not asking witnesses to lie, you're not hiding evidence, you're not intimidating witnesses, you're not overcharging, you're not lying to the court, perpetrating a fraud, subordinating perjury, and so on. You could absolutely do your job. But let me... What you have is you have these... Well, let me ask this though: Why can't we? Why can't we get the Michigan Bureau involved, the Michigan Bureau of Investigations? I mean, I see in some of these states, especially in Georgia, where when you when when we hit these roadblocks in government, we got to go through the bureau to launch an investigation into that. Has that been done with your case? Yeah, no. Our, our Michigan State Police. Uh, by the way, just so everyone knows, I have multiple Michigan State troopers that are my defenders. These are these are detective sergeants, uh, highly decorated officers from the Michigan State Police, um, who are some of my best defenders. And no, our Michigan State Police Department is completely corrupt now. They are at the beck and call of Dana Nessel, and they will do absolutely nothing about justice in Michigan. Two great examples: they were hiding a report of my innocence. Um, prepared by a trooper named Larry Shemansky in 1986. The report identified six alibi witnesses that placed me in the Escanaba area at the time of the crime. That report was never given to us, never given to my defense counsel. A private investigator who was a former law enforcement officer, Herbert Walsh, found that report. When he learned about the report, he attempted to contact Trooper Shemansky, and uh, sadly Trooper Shemansky had passed just a few months prior. When we went to the Michigan State Police to get the report, they refuse to give it to us. Now, you can get police reports as public records, period. But, but legally, I was absolutely entitled to that report on discovery and under Michigan's FOIA laws because the report exonerates me. The Michigan State Police knew the contents of the report, looked at it. It had the names of six alibi witnesses. It said they were going to be interviewed or they were interviewed, depending on the individuals. It had their contact information in there. I, obviously, it says... This, these people claim that this guy is innocent and he was up here when this crime happened. And at the bottom of the report, guess what it says? It says, we tried to share this information report here on, but they told us they didn't need it. So the Michigan State Police knew that they had evidence of my innocence and that the county who was doing this to me didn't want it. In 1986, the Michigan State Police knew this and didn't do anything about it. And then just a year and a half ago, they fought us in court to keep me from seeing that report. So we sued them and we won. Again, that was our wonderful attorney, Barb Kennedy, that won that. Amazing, amazing fighter. And they were forced to give up the report, and it contains the information I'm now telling you about. So there's, there's a level of corruption in our Michigan State Police, which was once, like the FBI, once an incredibly respected agency. It's now become a tragic yeah. joke. But in 86, yeah. they knew they had evidence of an innocent man being wrongfully prosecuted. 
They, their own trooper wrote a report and identified six alibi witnesses that placed me almost 500 miles away. They hid that report, didn't tell my lawyer, didn't tell me, didn't notify the attorney general's office when the county decided they wanted to hide the information. And then when I found out about it all those years later and saying, oh, my God, you're sorry, and we should have done something about this, they tried to hide the report from me. That's no different than Dana Nessel trying to hide the report that says this man's innocent and he should be released. That's the level of corruption in the people that we trust to defend us. These are the people that are supposed to be enforcing the laws. These are supposed to be the best of the best. I mean, well, they're, 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 they're doing the same thing that Kamala Harris did years ago when she was the senator with the five individuals out in California that were going up for death row. And she she exactly. knew that by by opening that case up, it was going to expose her corruption as a prosecutor. Yeah. So right. she let them she let she them die. Mob individuals. Remember, she took a she took a stance she wouldn't prosecute organized crime individuals, and then she took a stance that she wouldn't prosecute the Catholic priests who were molesting boys. So you know to say that to call herself now a champion of justice, and now what has she done for justice? Nothing. You tackling the criminal justice problems in this country. It's great she went to Tyree Nichols' funeral, but what has changed since George Floyd's death? Nothing. Nothing. officers who were absolutely unafraid to murder a man on camera in the presence of multiple witnesses. Well, this case is so much. It's tragic. It's it's. it's Right. The Tyree, the Tyree Nichols is worse than Rodney King. But I want to get into that with you. I know I know yeah. Miss Jody said that she had in half an hour. We're going on an hour now. How are you doing? Are you ready? to? Well, I do have to go, but I definitely want to do this again. So hopefully you invite me back because Kinsey, man, I love talking with you. I love your girl. I, congratulations on your marriage. I, I heard you got to do it twice. So that's beautiful. So, um, again, I hope we can get you down. Jody, thank you for what you're doing for everybody out there, not just me. I, we need fighters. Keep fighting. Don't give up. Don't let them break you. Don't let them wear you down. Thank you, honey. And I love I love that support. Well, people like Thomas, we'll keep going. So, Thomas, call me back. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep, lunch is on to Mojin. I'm coming.